Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about engineering confidence. Ooh, a hard sounding word, engineering. <laughs> yes. Yes, no woo-woo confidence building today. This is going to be about <laughs> systems and creating processes and things that give you confidence in your business. Yeah, well, the, the idea for the episode came from a longtime listener of the show who is a very seasoned expert in his area, but has been consulting just a few years. And his comment was that confidence comes from having developed all these processes, that he's really in a very different place now than when he first started his business because of those processes. So that seemed like a good kind of starting off point for the episode. Yeah. And I, before we jump into that, can we just like pause for a second to even unpack the word confidence for a second, just to like make kind of clear what the outcome hopefully of this episode will be for the listener? Yeah. Because I just did an email about confidence i um, love that one that oh, was cool. really good one of my favorites Thanks. actually oh wow well so and the thing was and, I, and it's relevant i think to what we're going to talk about here the thing was somebody said to me it's like oh well if i was confident as you then blah blah, blah you know i'd be more successful and i was like i don't really i don't feel not confident and i am confident in certain things but that is not the thing that i lean on for like launching new things and and creating value for people or in my marketing there's like to me confidence well see i just looked it up and there there's an like a huge like 30 definitions for the (laughs) word confidence it is like Mm -hmm. a very overloaded word the way i always took it was that people like if someone has a lot of confidence then they are they have a high regard for their abilities which is to say they believe that they will succeed in what they attempt which is absolutely not the way I feel when in this context of like launching new things or starting a business or a, a new product or a new service. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. I just don't care. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not confidence that causes that, that allows me to launch it. It's that if it doesn't work, I'll try something else. So it's not that I think, you know, like let's say I'm, I'm I release a book. I want it to catch on or I want people to like it or find it valuable, but I don't, Believe, I don't necessarily like my confidence level is like a coin flip. What's much more important is that that are other things like daring, which is being you know willing to take mm-hmm. risks, and initiative, which is being able to start things on your own. Those two things are way more important to me than confidence. But today, I think confidence, the meaning here is it feels like setting up things so you don't have to worry about silly stuff. Is that like, is that how you do, you would, in other words, so like getting the silly stuff worked out so you're not kind of undermining your ability to deliver value or help people or do good work? Well, I, I don't know if I'd use the word silly um, because I feel like anything that contributes to feeling powerful in what you're doing and how you're helping clients is important. Okay, so yeah, it, that's it, fair. Yeah, it could be like a really small thing, but to you, it feels really big because maybe it's because it's something you've never done before, mm-hmm. right? Like administration. Sometimes people think, oh God, you know, I, I'm so creative. I'm a great designer. I can do all this, but oh, can I run a business? Can I build clients? And so then when you start to build confidence in that area by developing processes to to work it through, you start, and it's not like it happens in a day or a week or a month or maybe even a year, but it's that 
you know, you're making small steps towards feeling comfortable and ultimately confident. And by confident, I totally agree with your your comments about that and daring initiative. But there's also well-placed confidence. Like a well-placed confidence says, listen, I've been through this before. I don't know if it's going to be successful, but I'm confident that I'm going to do my best and I'm, to make this work. And that's a very different attitude than going into something going, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm not sure. I'll just try it. And I won't tell anybody about it. So if it doesn't <laughs> succeed, nobody will know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are certain things I can think back on and be like, I remember when I used to wing it, when I used to wing a, a coaching call or a speaking gig or a podcast appearance. And over time, like you said, it's like it's like this accretion or this um, it's like this layering, like an onion almost that you just you say, you know what? I, I don't feel confident or I have felt more confident on podcasts where I've prepared a little bit and less confident when I just wing it, for example. Mm-hmm. So why don't I kind of formalize that a little bit and create either a checklist or an SOP or some kind of system for myself so that I can focus on uh, hitting a home run and not on like tying my shoes or like silly stuff. It's like <laughs> it's like setting yourself up for success by taking care of these uh, these little details that don't require decision every single time. You don't need to improvise little details about, I don't know, like your wardrobe or something when you're going on a podcast. Yeah. So I feel like there are three or four categories of business that we could talk about where Mm -hmm. you could engineer some confidence for yourself, dear listener. The obvious three to me are marketing, sales, and delivery. Uh, But then there's kind of this catch-all one that I guess I would call operations or administrative. Yeah, because if you don't do that well, you can do all the other things well and still fail. Yeah, it can be a real time suck. Um, (laughs) Okay, so you want to just start at the top, start with marketing and talk about uh, maybe systems we have in place or ones that we, we try to emulate or that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think when somebody's first starting their consulting business, even if you've got a lot of experience coming from, you know, honing your craft inside of an organization, it's marketing yourself as an independent is different, right? You have to get in this in this habit of, and, and marketing and sales kind of intertwine here, um, but you have to get yourself in this habit of putting yourself out there. Big picture, which I think of as marketing, and one-to-one, which I think of as sales. And that doesn't mean that sales is always one-to-one and marketing is always one-to-many. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're, they're interchangeable in that way. But it's really a mindset shift. And People that I've worked with that have just come out of a corporate organization really struggle with that marketing piece in the first two to three years. Because the first year, I always argue, the first year is the easiest year. Nobody ever believes that when they do it. But looking back, it's usually true because your friends and family want you to be successful. So people that used to work with, they send you a project. And it's not competitive. You just get it and you do it and you're excited. And then year two sets in. Mm-hmm. Oh, where's the work going to come from? <laughs> yeah. How is this going to happen? Especially in year one, if you're billing by the hour, like 40 to 50 hour week, working 40 to 50 hour weeks, because you're kind of, you know, you're nervous, you're terrified, like, oh, no, yeah. like I, I left this safety net, my spouse is freaking out, I really have to prove myself. And you're right, the first year comes with its own built in marketing story. I told the, the boss to take this job and shove it. I, I, I went solo. I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur now, or I'm like, it's a story that spreads. Yeah. Yeah. 
But once you're just another freelancer or just another consultant or whatever you are, then that's and you've exhausted your personal network, then it's like, uh, and you've been working like a dog for a year. Yeah. It's like, and you, now what? And you're probably working by the hour at a low hourly rate, too, because usually there's a miscalculation about, you know, how much money you're going to make in that first year or so. Yeah, I got to pay my dues. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we talk about marketing systems a fair bit. Uh, so maybe we don't have to go super deep other than to maybe categorize them and point out which things I would I, like. I would consider a frequent daily or weekly mailing list. That's a, a marketing system. It, it's very easy to set up that routine. And then and then just like, here's this task I have to do every day or week. And I just do it. You don't have to think about how often should I email? You don't have to think about who should I email? You don't, you know, and if you've set it up properly, you don't even need to think about what big picture you need to write about. You just need to write the thing mm-hmm. and drop it into your system and it'll get broadcast to where it needs to get broadcast. So in my case, that's the mailing list and LinkedIn and Twitter. And that's it. That's the system. I just type it into my form, press submit, and it pops onto my website too. So RSS as well. But mm-hmm. it's like, that's the system. And then all I have to do is show up and do the one piece that can't be automated, which is have an idea. Like, what's the idea? And then, like, publish it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. pod, this podcast. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then um, you, you covered it with the social media. But then my point is you, you want to distribute this. Whatever you, you're doing in that email list, you want to make sure that you're distributing it in social. And you're you, in the right social platforms for you. Might just be one, might be two, probably isn't three. Um, but as you distribute it there, that's also your opportunity from a marketing standpoint to grow your audience on that specific platform. Mm-hmm. Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. Yep. So, uh, so the content marketing piece is kind of like the most tactical level. But marketing also includes uh, deciding, you know, everything upstream from that. So I'd say like, like, what's my brand? What, what products and services should I even offer? What price should I set them at? And all of that stuff sort of, sort of, that's all marketing, coming to market or interacting with the market, going to a market and hanging out and being like, okay, what's, what feedback am I getting from the market? What is the market telling me? You know, is something, you know, this thing I created not selling at this price? Is it selling too much at this price? You know, what am I learning from that? And how do you build a system around that? And, you know, I'm, I like being a solo operator, so I make everything as frictionless as possible. And this is why the mailing list is magic for me because it's a two-way street. So I'm not just broadcasting from the top of a mountain. I'm actually interacting with the market because tons of people reply. So, you know, unlike the podcast where it's tougher to have a two-way conversation, um, I, it, it serves both of those goals for me, which are both of those, yeah, I guess they're goals. I'm sending out content marketing with a minimal amount of effort on my part, other than the just writing of it. And then the feedback I get feeds back into the, the other areas, the other marketing areas, which is like, huh, a lot of people are asking about retainers. You know, maybe I should, maybe my next book should be about retainers, uh, you know, based on this thing. And I can actually interact with individuals in the email list and say, hey, you know, you, you really like that episode of the, of the podcast about retainers. Like what, what were the biggest things that you, that you learned from it? Or what were your big takeaways there? What were the things that really took you by surprise or changed your mind or opened your eyes? Mm-hmm. And I can start, I can start to have 
um, basically my list tell me what needs to be in the book. So that's like a, a marketing function. Uh, it's, I feel like it's a stretch to say that it's systematized, except for I, it is true that the system picking email as the main channel automatically invites that kind of feedback. And therefore, it's uh, it just happens without me thinking about it. Well, I think of it as channel based. So from that, we get ideas for the podcast. And then when we do the podcast, people will comment and say, oh, gee, that brings up this question, or what about this? They're all related, but they come in differently because they're on different channels. Mm -hmm. And you get to demonstrate your expertise differently in different channels. Like on the podcast, people are hearing us, how we think, how we speak, how we interact. So they draw conclusions from that. Somebody else will draw a conclusion from what you post in Twitter or an image that you post in Instagram. It's you, you've, it's giving you a chance to interact in different ways on different platforms. It's all marketing, and they're really all processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Well, hopefully yeah. You're not, yeah. <laughs> right. So hopefully you're not just like, oh, I think I'm going to do a bunch of Instagram today. You know, because yeah. then you're then you're you know you're asking your brain to burn calories making a decision that really doesn't need to be made. Mm-hmm. It's like you know my, my software friends in the audience set it and forget it. Like that's, that's what you want. Automate yourself out of a job. That's like a a fundamental premise of like the best software developers are the lazy ones because they'll program stuff that doesn't need them to attend to it. Oh, I love that about developers. I have to say (laughs) everything is programmed. Yeah. Awesome. I am so envious when I see somebody who's done such a great job with that. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. What else in the marketing space? Base. I feel like that's huge. With authority businesses, it's mostly about content, and it's it, marketing is mostly about content and how we're you know we're getting in front of the right audiences. Um, I suppose we could. I'm not sure where we put alliances exactly. We could sort of put that in marketing. We could sort of put it in sales. And by alliances, it could be one to one. It could be one to an organization where you are. Um, in some sort of an informal or formal alliance with someone else for your joint benefit. Oh, like a JV or partnership or something? Yeah, or just this podcast. You know, oh, I, I okay. Mean, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a contract, but you have different alliance partners for different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not... I mean, sometimes we just sort of think of it as like the friends and family. Friendlies, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes you're actually creating an asset together. I mean, that's an alliance. Sure. Yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, what else, what are some things that maybe outside of what we do, but also relevant to authority businesses that you would consider um, like marketing systems? I guess being on a being, you know, hopefully we'll get back to this at some point, but being on the speaker circuit is one I've done in the past. That one kind of uh, it's it's very costly to do, but it's very beneficial. And, and it does turn it's a routine like it's a routine that you can get into. Mm-hmm. You just you can you just get into this routine where you're like okay I've got I remember I had like all of my itineraries in one app I think it was TripIt or something whatever it was called and you know it was all in one place and I had like this process that I would go through like here are the questions that I need to get answered from you know every time a conference uh, gig closed like it landed it they accepted my talk or whatever then it's like okay I need these answers to these questions I put all the stuff mm-hmm. in the same place because I'm completely I'm actually organized because I'm disorganized. So like mm-hmm. I, I am the kind of guy that goes to the airport without their passport, you know, it's like, well, it's just Canada. 
So, <laughs> so I know that. I need to, I, I know the day of I'm going to be discombobulated. I just, I just am like yeah. the travel day. I need to, my brain will not work. So I need to have everything like prepared so that that would be an example for someone who, you know, goes around in the speaking circuit. It's like, have your itinerary prepared. I remember sitting on a plane next to a guy who had a, a literally a, a, it looked like a legal brief or like a, like a, uh, what do they call it? Like a case file. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but it had like, I don't know, it was weird. He like pulled it out when we landed. And I'm like, what's that? It, it looked something strange about it. And he's like, oh, my assistant puts together like a, a like a dossier for all of my trips because I'm a basket case. You know, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I used to have that when I was in a big firm and was traveling all the time. Yeah, nice. it was, it's yeah, it was pretty awesome. But so so when you think about marketing in these ways, so so there's writing, which we've talked about, and there's speaking, which you just talked about. And there's also the part of speaking that is, you know, putting the the your program together, doing all of that and systematizing that mm-hmm. um, their podcasts. Right. Yep. Um, video. There are a lot of people who do things for uh, like a YouTube channel or a regular video. And then something that sort of can cross all of those are just what I think of as live events or recorded events. So it could be a webinar, it could be an Instagram live, um, you know, some kind of events that are, and when I say live, I mean virtual live, um, where you're on camera and you've got this process that you go through. And the process is is twofold, I think. The first part of the process is that you're going to do it on (laughs) some sort of a regular basis, and they're not always, but let's assume that. And then the second is the how do you actually operationally accomplish the thing I mean, we've talked before about our, you know, our, our, our flight check-in list on the podcast. I mean, I have those for a lot of different things that I do because I don't have to make decisions. I don't have to think mm-hmm. to do things that I don't care about, but that are important. In other words, it's important that we get it recorded. It's important that the quality be good. Um, but I don't want to have to think about that in the moment. I want to think about what I'm delivering, not how it's going to get delivered. Right. We already thought about it. We already came up with the best way. Why do we need to reinvent the wheel every time? Yeah. Right. Although we I have reinvented the wheel sometimes well, <laughs> every we year or two. The wheel. Yeah. We improve the wheel. Yeah. I, it's a huge difference to me. When I when I True. go to an existing checklist and I update it, that is dramatically different than like making one from scratch. True. So I've got them for, well, this is more, some of these are more operational and delivery, but I've, I've also got checklists for recording um, a group or, or presenting a group coaching session, mm-hmm. group coaching live. I've got them f- when I was recording the videos for TPS. I had a checklist for each video to make sure that I, you know, check your teeth, check your hair, make sure the air conditioner is turned off, make sure that the lighting is right, make sure the door is locked, you know, on and on and on and on. It's like, it's like you, you only, if you, if you have to learn the lesson every time to remember to shut off your air conditioning, like, you're not engineering any confidence in your process, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. You're just feeling like, I remember the very first time I sat down to do a group coaching live session, the first time after I made a checklist, and it was pretty far into, you know, I would probably have been doing it for at least six months before I actually wrote down the stuff. And it, and wow. I used to, I know, right? I had to do mine before because I was convinced, because, you know, I'm not a technology person. I was convinced I was going to mess it up if I didn't write it down. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, no, I, would, I was winging. It was like, oh, I know how to use Crowdcast. I'll just go in and do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes I'd be like, oh, that 
that thing I said at the beginning, that would be a good thing to say every time. Or uh, this time I forgot to make sure that my hard drive wasn't full because Crowdcast flips out if your hard drive is full. Or this time I forgot, you know, so there's these little things that would crop up. Mm. There were rare edge cases, but there were enough of them that it would, that it seemed like something came up every time. Like once I had six of these edge cases, like one of them was going to pop up. Yeah. So, so finally I wrote it down and I used to spend about an hour before presenting for an hour. And then once I had this checklist down, it went down to like 10 minutes with extra time left over. And that's just because you were checking your teeth for spinach. It, it is. I mean, it's hysterical how, how those checklists save us time, but they engineer confidence because you can right. focus on what's important versus the, you know, the miscellaneous stuff that has to get done. Right. It's like being on stage. Like if you're on stage and you're performing, you're in a band and you're, you're like, like shredding out a solo, you don't also want to be, you can't also be operating the lights and the soundboard. Like, so, <laughs> like you need to figure out if you're gonna, in your in your performance moment, the thing that you cannot outsource, you need to be able to, uh, I guess, not be distracted by the outsourceable stuff or the system systematizable, the systemizable. Oh, I don't even know the stuff you can systemize. <laughs> I hate that word. Systematize. Right. Yeah, I do not like that word. I wish it wasn't real. Um, so all of that stuff, if you are trying to like, you're having problems goofing around with your slides, you know, as you're starting to, as you're trying to start a presentation, that's going to take you off your game. It's going to shake your confidence. And it's just, it's just, that's why I used the word silly before. It's silly for that to be, it's not a silly thing, but it's silly for you to let something like that shake your confidence or throw you off your game. Cause it's something that you can just easily fix if you just yeah. pay enough attention to it to to, to do it. So let, let's just say that that was all marketing and I was talking about doing a webinar. <laughs> <laughs> One key point specific to marketing that I want to emphasize that you brought up is that maybe, I'm going to say maybe the most important system you can put in place for your marketing efforts is that it's on a regular basis. Yes, because that's that's the trick. When you're running an independent business, yeah, it's you don't want to have to remember stuff. You don't want to have to push yourself. If you know that you're going to write an email four times a week or five times a week, whatever it is, you're going to make time to do that and it's going to get done Mm -hmm. versus "Ah, maybe I'll write one. Ah, Yeah, I'm not in the mood. I'm not going to show up today. My head hurts. Right. So so having it be on a regular basis, I would put that at the very top of my list for the marketing category of marketing systems. Somehow you have to figure out a regular basis. I don't care if it's every other week, once a month. I don't love those, but I like it better than when I feel like it Mm because you're never going to feel like it. Yeah. And and once you have it on a regular basis, then it's repeatable and then you can start to create systems around it and then you won't dread it. The thing that you're dreading is not doing the thing. It's all the stuff around the thing. Oh, Oh, I'm just thinking, I've talked about this on the show before, but when I was doing my welcomes, redoing my welcome sequences in my Mm -hmm. email, I put that off for so long (laughs) because I knew it was going to be a pain in the neck to get my head back into how all the programming worked. So when I did it the last time, I documented all the programming. It's in a four-page document. So now if I have to go back in... I feel confident that I can make changes and not screw everything up. I'll probably make a mistake here and there. Who doesn't? But I've got this thing to follow. And now I'm, I'm, I have a confidence that I didn't have before. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of like it, it, it's the antidote to the dread. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So, so as you pointed out earlier, marketing and sales have this sort of gray area where they kind of, where they, there's a handoff. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about sales systems for a second. Um, starting with ourselves, what do you have in terms of checklists or processes for doing sales? Well, you know, it's interesting. I have a couple of very specific selling checklists that I use, and it it mostly is linked, revolves around LinkedIn, people that I meet through LinkedIn. So I'll follow a sequence of things when somebody reaches out to me on LinkedIn. Um, that would be an example. To me, that's selling because it's a very one-to-one. -one. They've reached out to me. They're not really in my in my circle yet. And mm -hmm. so because they're coming at me there versus through my email, I first check to see if we're connected uh, via email because I, I won't always recognize them. And then I go through a specific, I have a, a cut and paste system that I use so that it's always personalized, but I have the blocks of content there so I can tweak it, but I don't have to. Um, that yep. would be an example. Um, the other thing, and it's it's I, I have to confess, it's not a checklist at all, but I've been doing this for a really, really long time, is in terms of sales calls themselves, there is a rhythm to those. And my approach is pretty much always the same unless the uh, person on the other end really wants something different. And it's, I want to listen to what's going on first. I don't want to do a, a presentation. I'm happy to, you know, give a sentence or two if they want that, but I'm I go right in and listen. And then at the end of the call, the process is that there's always a defined next step. Yes. Whatever that is. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a sales process. But there was something that I read in the E Myth uh, book that I really liked around selling. And I realized that I'd kind of done this without getting as specific about it as he did. And his idea, uh, Michael Gerber, in the book is that when it comes to selling, you want to absolutely systemize every possible thing you can. Now, he's not talking about authority businesses per se. They tend to be more things that have products or uh, physical services. But um, what, I, what I loved about that is this idea that every time you see something that works, write it down. And the example he used was, oh, I get better results if I wear a blue suit <laughs> than if I wear a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. That would be an example. But like I have, you know, when I'm on camera for things, there are certain colors that I wear. There, I make sure that the backdrop looks a certain way. Um, so it's those kinds of things that are more subtle. But if you're doing a lot of selling, that I would argue you want to have a procedure around, or a process, I should say, not procedure, a process around how you're going to interact with the person on the other end, whether it's phone, video in some way, or in person. Yes, absolutely. Yep. It, and more so, the more nervous you are about sales calls, let's say, the more you should have this process mm -hmm. because it will make you more confident. Like you'll know uh, that you're not wasting anybody's time, theirs or yours. You know, at the end of the call, you're, you know what you're going to say. That's probably the trick. I would say that's, that's probably the trickiest part is to like ask for the sale or ask for the next action. What's the commitment that you're going to ask for at the end of the call mm -hmm. and not being really comfortable uh, and not having like a process laid out for yourself usually ends in, 
like them saying something like, uh, okay, we'll let you know. Or you say something like, okay, let me know if you're interested. And then you just, there's no follow-up. There's no commitment. There's no, there's no nothing. There's no expectation set. It just, uh, poof, it just evaporated. The whole call just evaporated. Yeah. And so any, any outreach that you initiate after that is going to feel desperate. It's going to look, it's going to have that stench of desperation that Blair Rance talks about. <laughs> so, all right. So sales, it's funny because I, I just have really one thing I sell now that has a, what I would call a sales process. Most of the stuff I sell now is kind of like a snap decision. People either want it or they don't, and they can enter their credit card. Mm -hmm. Um, but private coaching is not, doesn't always fit on a credit card. So, so people, so there's a process and, and I don't want, and I don't want, even if, even if people could just like, you know, plunk down several thousand dollars, uh, without talking to me first, I don't necessarily want to work with everybody. Like there are plenty of people who are not going to be a good fit for me, would be a better fit for you or someone else or someone that ha- they're, they're in a different place or a different personality or they have a different communication style or just something where they're, they, I know I wouldn't be able to help them very effectively. So when people start to think about um, raising their hand and looking into private coaching with me, the the process is extremely defined. They apply on the sales page. There's no way to buy without without applying. And they fill out a fairly long form that has some kind of thought-provoking questions. Then that gets, you know, and that's all automated and that goes into my mailbox. I get like notifications and I go through it. And one of three things will happen. One, they'll clearly be disqualified. Like they just, they didn't see the price or something like that. And they're clearly not ready to, to, to do something like this. That's that's fairly rare. The the other um, less rare, the middle option is that someone for some reason, I either they've been in one of my courses or I've had experience with them before, and I absolutely know they'd be a good fit. In which case, I'd be like, "Yep, this will be a great fit. Love to work with you. Here's a link to make payment. After you make payment, you're going to get a, a an email with a scheduler, so you can schedule your kickoff. That'll automatically go into your calendar. We'll do that and." Slack, you'll get an automatic invite to my Slack. And all these things are all programmed to just happen. And, uh, but then the most common case, probably 80% of the time, I don't know the person at all or very well. And we have to set up a, I set up kind of like a meet and greet, get to know you phone call to see if we click at all. And, you know, whatever. And that, that's got its own system to it. It's all automated. They just click on this link and set up the thing. And, and, and then at the end of that call is, that's where you need to, you know, I need to know like what to say to not stumble and be like awkward and ask for the sale or be weird or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be like, you know, the point of this call is to see if we'd be a good fit. It seems like we're clicking. I would love to work with you on this thing that you're trying to achieve. Uh, and I think I can help you do it. Would you like to take the next step? And, mm-hmm. you know, then they'll be like, yes or no, or like, uh, they get cold feet or I have to talk to my wife or whatever, you know, whatever the right. thing is. Uh, and then, okay, great. I'll wrap up the call. I send a follow-up email. It's got some instructions for them. You know, even if, even if they're undecided, they get an email. It has instructions what to do, even if you're undecided. Here's how you can take action. You can make payment there. You can use ACH if it won't fit on your credit card. Um, and I will follow up with you in a week if I haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. So at that point, if I haven't heard anything and they go dark, I can come back a week later and say like, Hey, following up as promised, uh, what's going on? You know, my calendar's heating up. I've only got one spot left or whatever the real situation is. So it is extremely 
defined. I, I, it's funny because it doesn't. It, now, here's the irony: is it doesn't, until it doesn't feel that way. No, to when you. I looked at the sales bullet on my notes here, I was like, well, I haven't got anything. And then now that I'm talking through it, it's actually fairly elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a process. Well, and you know, the other thing I think that some people have that's sort of similar to what you just described is, uh, and I've got a couple myself, are pitch letters. And those are, if you're in a specific situation, and the one I see most often is people who are pitching people on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. especially if they're using InMail. So they'll go through this and they'll test it multiple times in multiple ways to see what works best, both in terms of, of the document itself plus their audience. It's another way to kind of test uh, test your audience. But um, you might have two or three different documents with pitch letters for different situations. And the pitch might just be connect with me. It doesn't have to be that you're pitching a product. But um, if you think about it that way, it's great whenever you write something like that that was really hard for you to write for whatever reason, mm-hmm. copy and paste it and stick it in a document. Yep. And put it in a file, a folder, um, you know, in the cloud, on your laptop, both, where you can pull that out the next time. And you don't have to sit there and go, who was it I wrote that note yeah. to? Yeah, what's where the perfect way to it? say this? Right. Yeah, yeah. I just keep like on LinkedIn, I just have one document that probably has, I don't know, 10 different things in it that I've used for different purposes. Because why reinvent the wheel? Right. Yeah, I already burned the creative energy to... to uh, come up with a really good way to say this like exactly what i mean you know why why use that creative energy again it's i, I can feel myself <laughs> i can feel myself doing it when i when i you know the way that backing up the way that i do what you just said like it's totally cool and low tech that you've got like just document like all my linkedin stuff that i say um i have that all in like my text expander so I just have these shortcuts I can type, you know, like, uh, for example, when I ask someone on my mailing list if it's okay to share their message and answer it for any, everybody, it's like three, three, it's like a keyboard command. It just like, boom, ask. It, it's like, so I don't have to, I don't forget anything. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to like turn on my creative part of my mind. I'm in the operational part of my mind. And it's, and I can feel when, when someone sends me an email and it's something I don't have a shortcut for. And I have to like stop what I'm doing, like email triage and like get into get into like empathy mode, get into creative mode and be like, how do I respond to this person in a way that isn't like the machine mode that I'm in? Because if I respond like a machine, it's going to sound like that. It's going to feel like that. And it's a real gear shift. Mm-hmm. So I like I like to save just like you. I just save them in a different place. And and all of those things where I was really feeling empathetic and really in putting myself in the other person's shoes as much as possible and then capture that so I don't have to shift gears when I'm in I'm in execution mode or operational mode later and I have to pull one of these you know and I have to write something like that I can do it without shifting gears and then I can keep going it's it's like I mean it's great <laughs> and it and it, it crosses all of these all of the marketing sales and delivery I've got keyboard shortcuts for absolutely everything it might be it might be one of my one of my favorite hacks is is storing all of those things, saving them. And you're like, Ooh, that was a really good email I wrote. And I could probably use that in the future and have one data, one database, one data store where you keep all that stuff. So you know where to go to reach for it. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, and I think what happens is that a lot of people, you know, your audience grows in fits and starts. And so you'll say, oh, it's not worth the investment of time to sit back and do that. But at some point when like last year in 2020, you know, a lot of people had big chunks of time. That's a great time to sit back and go, hmm, what can I do to make this work better, faster, more effectively? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it'll give you that confidence when you get to the the creative piece that is the crux of your value creation, the performance aspect of it. It'll give you confidence to be able to show up and perform, whether it's in your marketing, your sales, or your delivery. You can just do the thing that really takes all the mental energy and you will not be undercutting yourself or getting distracted by by you know minutia or details that, that you should have set and forget previously. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the thing is, I think at one point when I started my first business, I thought that all that administrative stuff would eventually just sort of go away, that I would perfect my systems and I could just not pay attention anymore. Mm. But it never goes away. No. There's always, especially now, you know, there's always something new. In fact, I just saw something yesterday, a new platform that combines four different things that I'm using. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's a way for me to use that. I don't know enough about it, but I put it on a list to look at the next time I have, you know, 20 minutes to just ponder administration. Right. (laughs) That, I mean, it's, it doesn't go away. So the more you can smooth out the processes, make them repeatable, and not have to do all this other work, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another th- another thing on sales from my past life, my previous positioning, I guess, uh, when I was doing mobile strategy consulting, I was, was I didn't have any productized services, to my great shame and <laughs> disappointment. Uh, I had products, but, you know, they were traditionally published books. So I had nothing to do with that. I just received, you know, quarterly payments and there was really nothing for me to do. Um, but the thing that I did sell were custom engagements, usually advisory retainers, but they were high enough priced and they were, um, very specific. So they were always customized. So there was always like a sales process for everything. And, you know, longtime listeners or, or readers of mine will, be familiar with the term sales interview and the why conversation and how to write a proposal, you know, the five page proposal template. Those were all my systems around selling custom projects, really high ticket custom projects or advisory retainers to big companies that are usually Fortune 50 or something like that. But still, it was like very successful companies, even if they weren't household names. And it was the same, it was the same process every time, you know, um, it was, it wasn't, Auto, none of it was really automated. It was all manual, but I did have, um, yeah, a process is the right word. It was, it was still a performance, but I had guardrails around the performance. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, here's how to respond to the initial email request, uh, get it on the calendar, send a reply email to make sure that all of the uh, right people will be in the, in the call. It was almost always a call. It was almost never in person. So make sure that all the right people are going to be on the call. And I had a set of questions that would cause that to happen. And then on the call, they would brain dump about the project. I would go into, the, I would pivot into the why conversation. I would try to determine what their desired outcome was, what the success metric was, what progress metric can I control to indicate that we're headed toward the success metric because I never had total control over hitting the success metric. So what's my piece that I'm responsible for? And then at the end, it was like uh, same kind of thing with the other sales. Like I said, I would say, 
seems like we're clicking here. I can think of three ways we could possibly engage. Uh, would it be okay if I had a proposal to you with a few options on Wednesday or whatever a few days away was? And they would always say yes. And then I would go and set that up. You know, I'd go write that based on the the my template. Like I had a template that that I would fill in essentially. It wasn't like a, a mm. top to bottom creative act. It was mostly boilerplate, honestly. And I would just fill in stuff they said into my template and then send it back to them. And my close rate was super high, super high. Yeah. Cool. So if you're doing so if you're doing sort of like these coaching program type things or doing like big huge custom projects or advisory retainers or anything that requires these kind of like consultative sales, then yeah, I think the Michael Gerber advice you brought up to just like make note when you do something right and eventually you're going to have a big long list of the right stuff to do. Well, and I think it carries over into the next category of delivery. You know, the more intangible your sale, the more you're going to need some of those guardrails on the delivery side. Well, yeah, so let's move into delivery. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> um, so delivery, delivery. This, I feel like a lot of times for, I think for our audience, there's going to be some sort of proprietary process or some some mental framework that they, they run their clients through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That. Yeah. So what what do you have in that regard? Um, well, mine's pretty straightforward because um, there's two things that I do and most of what I'm doing now is coaching. So it's it's a process. It's um, how they come in. Um, we get them set up on a Slack channel. Um, what the first thing we do is, which is a set of homework, if you will, brand work, so I can get clear on their experiences and stories and where they want to take themselves and their business. So that's all a process. Um, typically, what they're part of what they're buying is two phone calls a month, so we get those scheduled. Um, they're not always regular, but some people really like to know at the you know before the beginning of the month that it's the second Tuesday at at two o'clock their time. So there's a scheduling process and then there is a delivery process, which is the um, how I'm actually delivering on the call, what I'm asking them, what they're telling me, how I'm feeding back. So there's all of those processes on delivery um, and the invoicing, which I, I think we can push into operations, but the invoicing is a process is a part of that, both upfront when somebody says, yes, I want to buy. The invoicing piece from there and then on the ongoing delivery where it's something like a retainer or a monthly coaching fee there's that there's that piece to it um but the other kind of work that i do where it's pure strategy you know it's it's very similar it's i there's a certain amount of time that i give them to do their homework and if they can't do it in that time that's okay but we adjust the delivery on the back end Right. So if you're going to be two weeks late getting this, the outcome is going to be two weeks later. Um, and there's a, an internal process I use to make sure that I'm doing the research that I need to do, that I've allocated the the it's the creative box. Right. After you do the research, you get their homework. There's a creative box of um, understanding what to do with that and how to position them. So I'm setting up time and I have a process for that creative. And it's it's loose because it's creative, but there are some <laughs> steps that I follow so that I know I've done everything essential to get my mind to the to the point where I can come up with a creative solution that that checks all the boxes 
for the the outcomes that we've talked about. Um, and then there's a there's a process, and I, I have an automated calendar system. So we set up the the calls for various endpoints, and and eventually we're done. And then it flows into the operations side in terms of getting the the last piece of the project invoiced and signed off. And there's a, a request process for a reference or a testimonial is a better way to, to word that. So it's all built in to that process. Most of the clients that I work with that are uh, kind of organizational consultants of some sort, they're dealing with big organizations and they're dealing in outcomes, not I'm going to do this this hand piece of hands work. They're dealing in big transformational outcomes. They've got a process. And that process is, it, it reminded me a little bit when you were talking earlier, it's who do I need to be in the room, virtual or otherwise, to get this information? How many interviews am I going to do if I'm going to do interviews? Which people am I going to put together in a room? And which things are we going to talk about? Who am I delivering the outcomes to? Is it the lead person? Is it the lead person plus their direct reports? Is it a special team? Who gets an advanced review of the outcomes, especially if they're a surprise? Um, who, who gets yeah. word of the surprise first? You know, kind of who's the client? <laughs> and so, but they're walking through all of those pieces. And I, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever had a client who didn't have a process. And I, I think I have to say no. Sometimes they're working through an aspect of the process, especially if they've just been doing it for a short amount of time. And they're usually when that happens, they're more struggling with the beginning and the end than they are with the middle. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when you're doing a big job like that, you tend to you know keep putting one foot in front of the other. But the things that you get stuck on are how to make sure that you're starting the, the project so it's going to have the, the outcome that you've promised. And then how do you end? When do yeah. you end? And what does that look like? Yeah, it's really hard to fix stuff downstream if your kickoff was set, setting the wrong expectations or just like misaligned or something. You're just like, oh, man. Or you it's miss like, people. I mean, a yeah. lot of there's there's been people who have said, you know, I don't need to do any interviews. I don't need to get any of this information. Wrong. Those are the people <laughs> who are going to have to implement the thing you're working on. You need to hear from them right up front real fast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you pretty much described exactly what I do when you were talking about your coaching stuff. Uh, I've got these, these just like you, this sort of checklist and systems in place that that give me the confidence to say, if you stick to this stuff, because you're, you know, it's a qualified person, someone who I believe I can really help. I'm confident that I can mm-hmm. help this person. <clears throat> so, given that, um, and given my experience with this process that I've built up and up and up and up over time, I'm highly confident that you're going to be glad you did this. This, if I didn't have that, and I was just winging it like the old days, and just kind of charging more and more and more to be a sounding board when people had questions, I wouldn't be confident at all that that they would be happy that they spent that money, that they would have perceived ROI or that they would have customer satisfaction, high customer satisfaction numbers. I'd be like, beats me. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is, you know, it's the difference between a, a, a learned amateur and a professional. Right, because when that and that's really what your clients in part are buying. They're buying this idea that you have a repeatable way to get them to the transformation they want. That's why they're reading your testimonials. It's why they're reading the stuff that you write about the work that you do because they want to get to whatever their nirvana is. Mm -hmm. Right, and it's pretty unlikely that that it's pretty unlikely without a system or a process or a framework 
that you can reliably produce good results for people. It just, it certainly would, I would feel a lot less confident. I don't know what, if the numbers would be borne out, you know, but just looking back on it, I feel, I, I know that the successes I've had from coaching students are dramatically better, dramatically better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the yeah. price is dramatically higher too, but I mean, you know, if the... Well, that's how you know the outcomes are better because yes. you couldn't charge more if the outcomes weren't better. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. I'd be stuck if I didn't, if I didn't increase confidence, my own confidence of delivering positive outcomes, I would, I would be trapped. If I was just keep on, kept on winging it, I would be trapped in this like um, low prices because the value would be relatively low. So in a sense, it's not like, it's not confidence in like myself, really. It's more like confident in the process. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what we're talking about because that's what these processes will, will do for you is they give that. And, and I just want to put in a little caveat, which is we're talking a lot about process. One of the things some consultants, a mistake, some consultants make, and it's not always early on, it's usually later, is all they talk about is the process. In their marketing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, and I, I had somebody come to me one time with this flow chart in it. I counted all the boxes and there were 17 of them. <laughs> and I said, I, I don't ever want to see this again. And believe me, your clients don't want to see this either. Now, maybe if his clients were like really detailed engineering types, maybe, but that's not who his clients were. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but this is my patented 17 step process. I said, well, you need to talk about it in a different way. So, so we focus on process for this conversation because it's absolutely a critical part of being a believable, repeatable, successful consultant. Yeah, professional, like you said. Yeah, exactly. But it isn't the be-all, end-all that your clients want to hear about. They really don't. Yes, totally separate. This is the, the process I'm talking about and the process you're talking about right now. That is the delivery. That's a delivery process. And nobody cares about it until they've already given you their money. You need to abstract it into the benefits. In the marketing, you need to talk about the benefits of going through a process like that. I mean, you might say, oh, exactly. my 17-point my proprietary process will is for you if you've got this kind of a pain, and here are the kind of results that p- other people who had that pain uh, experienced after going through this process. But you're not going to go through the process. No one cares about your process. They just want the results. Yeah, the process is also not your proposal. Right, because what clients want to know is they want to know the outcome, and they want to know what they have to commit. So if mm-hmm. if you're saying I'm going to interview 20 of your customers, that needs to be in the proposal so that it's part of the expectation. But they don't need any more than that. Yeah, that's the sale. Right, sales, yeah. marketing, and delivery three different, totally different processes. Yeah, I mean they 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 dovetail, but they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to talk about in operations with uh, processes is also this idea of documents and whether that's documenting things that you're doing, which may or may not be required, or sharing of documents. I think you want to process around that as well. So if you're a coach, you you may be sharing all your documents in a Slack channel and and that's all good. Um, If you are a consultant and you're sharing documents with your clients, where are you sharing them? Are they in Google Docs? What are the protocols around what you're going to document and what you're not? 
And the reason for that, now part of this is I built a firm with a bunch of people. And so the first thing I insisted on is we have to have a documentation protocol so that we're protected. So that one, if somebody gets run over by a bus, we know what's been done and I have access to all of the documents. Like here's the proposal, here's the first report, here's the results of the interviews, here's all the documents the clients gave us. And And it's really critically important if you're working with other people. If you're solo, I still like it. I keep a very specific, you know, filing system slash documentation system because I like to be able to answer questions when they come up. And it's less important uh, with coaching. It's critically important when you're delivering something, like if you're doing marketing, PR, media, uh, execution style work for clients. You've got to be able to put your fingers on those things. And so, so you just need a process for how you're going to track and, if appropriate, share those documents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would say at a higher level, I'll just call that like your communications. So it's like, what are the, what is the process for communications between you and the client and any of your, inter- well, really, and all of the relevant internal employees on both sides? I guess I don't know if that builds confidence, but it certainly saves time. Yeah, I I think it does. I mean, I I keep everything in in a Dropbox that my VA has access to. And the reason I love that is there are things that she works on for me, like like this podcast as an example, and she'll she'll do something, she'll resave the document, it's back in Dropbox. I mean, you could use Google Docs the same way, obviously. But um, yeah, when you're collaborating with other people, even if they don't work for you, it's great to have a place where everything is. Um, and it's great to have someone who you work with that you can trust to have access to all of your Dropbox files. But yeah, so I just, I, the reason I brought it up is I just, I think it's really helpful to think through a file structure for your business. And it's, and the client piece is one part of it, but so are the legal documents, the, um, the receipts you need to save for tax purposes, uh, anything related to taxes and government reporting, oh, your God. organization yeah. documents, like all that stuff. So you just yeah. need a system. Whatever works for you is fine. There's no magic bullet, but just just come up with one and then follow it. Yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> we're having fun talking about this because it's like it, I love talking about this stuff. I, so we should probably wrap. But on yeah, the opera, <laughs> yeah, you just you just touched on a couple of things though that that I my solution there is just like outsource all that stuff, accounting. Uh, payroll, legal, taxes, just get rid of that stuff. You're never going to be better at it than someone who's extremely affordable. So just outsource all that stuff. I I went through a phase where uh, my payroll company screwed something up really bad and I fired them and I didn't replace them. And it screwed me up for years. (laughs) I I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just pay myself. Oh, what a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. worth the whatever a month it costs. But even if you do that, or especially if you do that, you still have to keep copies of everything. It doesn't absolve you of the requirement to make sure that it all gets done into file copies of everything. Mm. And I do that. It's it's come in handy. In fact, the, the state of California decided to assess me a penalty. And I'm like, what do you mean? I paid this. <laughs> and I could I could show them what happened. And they were like, oh, sorry. 
<laughs> it was one of those things where like the fee was $25 for whatever it was that I did, but the penalty for not doing it was like 500 bucks. Mm. So it's, you just want to keep all that stuff. And yeah. if, they, I, if you're ever audited, you will thank God that you did. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like I pulled us into a tangent that doesn't, isn't engineering yeah. <laughs> confidence, but it is fun to talk about. So operationally, as you can see, operationally, there's just a lot of things you should, you should do that does probably fall into the category of like, I don't know if they would undermine your confidence, but they're certainly undermine your ability to do great stuff for your clients because you're constantly dealing with these like silly things. Again, I keep saying silly, these, these important things that are not your sweet spot. They're not in your genius zone. So like get rid of them. And I, I do think that the main three categories we talked about today, sort of systems and processes and so forth for marketing, sales and delivery, if you are winging all of those all the time, it is going to undermine your ability to deliver results, which is going to eventually, if not immediately, undermine your confidence at delivering results, which actually makes it harder for you to deliver results. So it's a, a vicious cycle. You can't scale. And by scale, I don't even mean hiring people. I mean, you're not going to be able to grow to reach your, the potential of your business model if you can't get those three things down. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's increasing headcount or revenue or profitability or whatever, you can't really grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So do it. <laughs> just uh, you have notes. Uh, just uh, do it. Listen to this just episode a few times. No problem. Well, you know, before the, the show, Jonathan and I were batting the the title for this episode back and forth and at first I, I wasn't crazy about the word engineering with confidence but I really believe that that's what we're talking about here is that it's like we're building these little tiny structures one little bit at a time and the sum total is to really give you confidence that all that stuff is taken care of and you can channel your focus into the things that really move the needle for you. So it's just, I know it sounds, I feel like we're sitting here going, you know, nitpick this, nitpick that, but it's the sum total of it all that engineers the confidence in your business. Yep. It's a lot of little things. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully it was helpful. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it was, it was but, fun to talk about. Yeah, we had fun, but tell, <laughs> tell us, tell us if it worked for you because that's pretty important. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.